Welcome to Best Picture This, where it is always Oscar season. I'm Mike. And I'm Brian. In this show, we reevaluate every Best Picture nominee from the 21st century and decide whether to keep it or kick it from its Oscar pedestal. I wish I can quit you, Brian. <laughs> but here we are again, back in the studio. Actually, I don't wish I can quit you. This is pretty fun. In, <laughs> it is two, fun. in 2004, the nominees for Best Picture were Good Night and Good Luck, Capote, Munich, Crash, and today's movie, Brokeback Mountain, directed by Ang Lee. Here's the trailer. work, I suggest you get in here pronto. Well, since we're going to be working together, I reckon it's time we start drinking together. Just like this, always. This thing grabs hold of us in the wrong place, and we're dead. You boys sure found a way to make the time pass up there. You don't go up there to fish. You don't know nothing about her. You have no idea how bad it gets. If you can't fix it, you got a standard. I wish I knew how to quit you. Have I ever punched you before, Mike? I'm trying to remember. Maybe once or twice. I think you would remember. <laughs> a punch from you, you remember. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, Gustavo Santaolalla. He wrote the music and won the Oscar. So I feel like he was kind of the star of that trailer. What the strumming. Yeah. I'm a big fan of the good. strumming. The, the strings, the strings in the trailer I can so do So over without. the top. Yeah, yeah let's just get, get rid, rid of those. those. Ang Lee became the first Asian to win Best Director for this movie. Uh, Larry McMurtry and Diana Osana won for Best Adapted Screenplay. The short story has become a classic. Also, Annie Proulx, who also wrote The Shipping News. Um, it was nominated for a bunch of other things, including, um, I mean, the big ones, like all the big ones, really. Yeah, Best yeah. Picture, Heath Ledger for Lead Actor, Jake Gyllenhaal for Supporting Role, Michelle Williams for Supporting Role, which mm -hmm. amazing performances from everybody, and Rodrigo Prieto for Cinematography. It also did great at the Golden Globes. Um, won't go into all the detail. Um, MTV gave it the best kiss. MTV. MTV movie. The height of prestige. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was made for $14 million and it made 178 Nice. Um, That's a whole. 
it's the <laughs> it's the highest grossing release for focus features. Huh. That's pretty impressive. They've done a lot of a lot of really good movies that I like. Okay, so coming up in the show, we'll do our Farley Awards, Golden Takes, Question, Imagine, Talk Trivia, and Keep It or Kick It. Yeah. But first, our Farley Awards for mm. the most awesome moment of the movie. And you know I got to cheat. I'm going differ- to mm. differentiate just a little bit here, Brian. Mm. The most striking shot of the movie has got to be the fireworks blasting behind Heath Ledger as Ennis on Independence Day of all days, right after he stands up for his family at this sort of fair, I guess, mm-hmm. this kind of community event. And he beats up this guy who's talking inappropriately in front of his kids. So the image is great because I think it feels very victorious. Mm -hmm. But it's more complicated than that because in sticking up for himself, he kind of turns into the thing that his children are afraid of. So violent masculinity isn't the answer. The victory is tainted, but you would never know that by looking at the visuals. Great moment. Yep. But I'm going to go with something a little subtler. Okay. A little subtler. Because I want to add something to that scene. Oh, yeah, go ahead, because I'm going to move on way past oh, it. Oh, okay. Because you, you, you don't want to do two Farleys. No. But no. you will anyway. No. So the other thing, I, I noticed that shot as well, and I thought it's kind of a trope in romance movies to have fireworks in the background Is when they really? kiss. Okay. You see it, like I saw, I saw a video one time of like Harry Grant's kissing someone with fireworks and it's almost like a joke. <laughs> so to see Heath Ledger being full of rage because he has suppressed love and beating someone up mm-hmm. with fireworks, it kind of made me think they're doing something with that. And yeah. But I thought that was kind of interesting. That That's what stood out to me about that scene. I could see it because it's sort of, you know, the height of passion, the yeah. colors, the explosions and everything, but it's not happening yep. when he's happiest. It's happening when he's angriest, which is kind of in line with a lot of this character throughout the movie, right? That's mm-hmm. he, He's always pushing and he's always pulling at the same time. Um, but I'm going to go with the scene where he finds out that Jack Twist, played by Gyllenhaal. Gyllenhaal? I think Gyllenhaal. Gyllenhaal. I think I asked you that last time and you were firm in Gyllenhaal. Really? Yes, well, when we did Donnie Darko. All right, I'm going to say Gyllenhaal then. Um, so he finds out that he's dead when a postcard that he sends him yeah. is returned with the stamp deceased, which I just have to say, I don't think that that stamp exists. Just a deceased stamp. I like to think that it does. Um, so he he calls Gyllenhaal's wife, Anne Hathaway, who tells him very unemotionally that Jack died while he was changing a tire mm-hmm. and that... The tire sort of blew up, hit him in the face. But while she's talking, we see this silent vision, which might be a flashback of Gyllenhaal getting beaten with tire irons by this crew of, you know, angry homophobes. And I love how Ang Lee doesn't tell us at all if this is real or not. Maybe this is the real story. It definitely could be. Or maybe it's just Ennis imagining it because, you know, we he told us later basically that his dad forced him to look at this dead body mm-hmm. who was beaten for a very similar reason, the dead body of a, of a gay man. And that trauma never leaves you, you know. So there's an ambiguity there that's sort of unanswerable both for us and for Ennis. And I think that's a lot of the point. And it's like just great filmmaking because it's kind of just this, what, 10 second slice mm-hmm. of silent footage. I think it's, I think so it was much. only five seconds in my edited version. <laughs> five seconds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it might um, be. Yeah. <laughs> but um, actually that's what I was going to ask my question about. Oh, cool. Okay. Um, so I also thought that was a very striking scene. Yeah. And um, just to make sure I didn't miss some crazy plot point from my edited version, mm-hmm. I read the plot summary just to double check it. And the Wikipedia plot point says Ennis visualizes the death. 
And I saw, you know, I saw enough of it to know that that scene was there, but I wondered what you thought. It, do you, I mean, where do you, where do you stand on that? Do you think that it was a murder or an accident or does it? I don't think the movie ever gives us any information I don't whether, think so either. whether to say um, yes or no. The only thing that we know for sure is that Jack Twist is um, more open to the idea of embracing the lifestyle than Ennis is. Yeah. So maybe that means he was yeah. a little bit too public about it. Maybe he embraced it in front of the wrong people and that can get him into trouble. But I think that's the only context clues that we're given and, in this. And the point is that's what he's carrying with him. Yes. And Heath Ledger is is mourning the death because of that. And so. in this world, it's, it's likely that this yeah, could happen. Could, Not could only have. possible, but, you know, maybe probable if someone did find out. So I wondered about that also in this world, the violence that um, the, the only violence that we really get mm -hmm. is the flashback of Heath Ledger as a kid going to see yeah. the, the, the dead guy. And other than that, I don't really, I, there, there are comments, but I don't think there's a lot of, maybe I'm wrong here, but I can't think of any other violence against homosexuality homophobic violence exactly do you yeah we don't am I missing we don't see it and i think that that's maybe because it's subtext in a lot of scenes lead maybe doesn't want to hammer it in that like yeah. every single person is a violent murderer if yeah. they're not gay yeah um so i think that kind of just by introducing that early then the danger hangs over every scene which mm -hmm. is enough but um yeah i don't know it, it could be the truth it could he could have just it's, it's changed a, the tire wrong it's a fascinating choice it's to, great to yeah. leave it as a mystery. And I find myself really admiring it when a filmmaker would do that. Yeah. Um, because I don't know, it's, it just kind of trusts the viewer to, mm -hmm. to, to go along with them. And I think that one worked well. Love it. So my Farley award was um, about how the symbolism of Brokeback Mountain changes throughout the movie. At the beginning, it's like idyllic. <laughs> It's pastures. It's incredible. There's so many, you know, sheep running around, some of which were CGI, but that's okay. Freedom. Um, yeah, freedom, exactly. And it's like you're in it. And so you see like the mountains soaring up behind you. And yeah. it's like, this is heaven on earth. And then at the end, when they're having their, you know, their fight, which this is the best push of the year, I bet. I haven't watched every movie from 05. Heath Ledger pushes Jake Gyllenhaal. I kind of jumped because it was like so up close. It reminded me of the murder scene in the village. Okay. Where like all of a sudden, like there's a knife in somebody and it was so close. You didn't even know it was happening. It, it was, it was, it's a great little uh, camera work there. But so Ennis played by Heath Ledger tells Jack Twist played by Jake Gyllenhaal that he can't make it till November for their next, you know, mm -hmm. visit. And mm -hmm. Jake Gyllenhaal is furious. He feels betrayed. <clears throat> And he says, we could have had a ranch together, but you refused. And then, do you have this uh, clip, Mark? Mark Gilliland. The illustrious. The illustrious producer. The one who makes it all happen. But you didn't want it, Ennis. So what we got now is Brokeback Mountain. Oh my gosh. The rage <laughs> and the sadness in that one line, that one little performance I mean, I'm a sucker for super angry performances anyway. I mm -hmm. just like, there's something that is more raw and real sometimes about like. It's just visceral. When someone's yes, yelling, yes. you feel like yeah. something is so real that it has to be this loud. Yeah, which, <laughs> which is not true. but No, at all. And, and I think that that's <laughs> what I love so much about yeah. Ledger is that he 
avoids to, to to such an extreme yep. to where like if he raises an eyebrow a certain way you're like oh boy i know <laughs> i know that's a lot of emotion <laughs> <laughs> he's like why so serious jake um too soon <laughs> so he says and so anyway it's it's impossible to think also right in this moment that this is a homosexual relationship or a heterosexual relationship or whatever it's just you, you all that stuff is gone from this moment in the movie. And you just like, you're just feeling that, you know, his, it's a his rage. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Exactly. But, um, the, anyway, that, that's my, that's my, um, Farley word. That but one. you're right in that, that moment, moment though, the mountains are in the background yeah. and it, it is it's still a dumpy beautiful, place. but it's, yeah, it's towering above them and it's in the background. It's looming sort of, it, yes. it, it almost feels claustrophobic in a way at the same time that it feels, um, I don't know, like a, like a panorama. It's more like, and the, you know, they got, they have little guts now. They look a little older. Yeah. You know, Jake's I got a bad he's mustache. Got a mustache. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not glamorous anymore. It's not peaceful. It's, we have this, you know, now it's like almost like that's trash. This is all we have. At yeah. the beginning, this was the this was the was gateway heaven. to a new life, it was and now, now became hell. It's a dead end. Mm -hmm. um, I also just want to point out the final shot of the movie that I. This is your third Farley. <laughs> yeah, this is this is my third Farley. <laughs> okay. Um, we see the wall inside of Ledger's trailer, mm -hmm. and this tiny little window. It's kind of right next to where he hung up Jack's um, jacket yeah. and and the shirt. Two, the two shirts. Yeah, and. Outside of the window, you see the mountains, you see this vista, this panorama, but you're only seeing it through this tiny little window. Mm. It's a sliver of the whole world, and it's such a great encapsulation of his you know, perspective and his life, life experience. I didn't catch that. That's a good observation. Golden takes. Golden take. What's yours, Mike? Stop calling this a gay cowboy movie. <laughs> that, that's my golden take. We've got to stop calling it that. So, yes, this is a love story about cowboys. Yeah. But just as importantly, it's a story about opportunity, I think, and um, the spaces sort of in which love has the opportunity to have a story, uh, you know, let alone to thrive. At one point, Gyllenhaal, he's in a bar and he approaches a guy from the rodeo and he's starting to sort of subtly hit on him and the guy shuts him down flat. Mm -hmm. In the same situation, what would Heath Ledger have done if he was the rodeo guy? Um, if he was hitting on Jake Gyllenhaal? If Gyllenhaal was hitting on him in the bar. Uh, he might have, he would have done the same thing. I or think he would have done the exact same him. thing. Yeah, get away from me. Yeah. Um, because you can't have that. You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> you're you're in public. You have to sort of maintain, maintain appearances. The mountains gave him the freedom to be himself. So in that way, the rules that make society, you know, quote, civilized are actually the ones that make it stifling of true experience and expression. It's not the most golden of takes, but it got me thinking <laughs> that pretty good that, that for my standards, Brian, it's, it's a B minus um, four but, and a half on Letterboxd. <laughs> but I remember when this came out and everybody's calling it the gay cowboy. Movie. Not just me. No, everybody. Okay. That, yeah. That's that's the term of the time of 2005. This was the gay cowboy movie, mm -hmm. and it's reductive. But I think it's also sort of a tongue in cheek. It makes a tongue in cheek joke out of the movie. Yeah. But I knew Crouching Tiger and Ang Lee, so I knew that it wasn't. It, mm -hmm. it was going to be more than that. So I go to the movie theater. I see this by myself. No one, no one else wants to go see it. <laughs> the theater is empty. I'm the only person in there. The only guy watching the gay cowboy movie. Only one. Oh. And it's 
a mainstream theater, though, which mm-hmm. I still think means something. You know, it kind of can push through that sort of cultural joke of it in a way to make it in the megaplex. You said it made 178. It was it's a big selling. I don't know what it was like, you know, overseas. I have a couple of trivia about that later but but still that's you know that's a pretty decent good haul for a movie like this mm-hmm. and i think that when you're open to what a movie is really about what a thing is really about mm-hmm. then you create those spaces those opportunities that i was talking about before but when we simplify you know <laughs> turn this thing that's like this sort of sweeping epic nuanced human story into a three word description then you diminish the whole thing and you kind of you 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 sort of put more of those constricting rules on that um are the problem in the first place i agree but the re- one of the reasons that the movie works well is because of the supposed irony of the gay cowboy movie it's not what you initially think of like i bet any prool in part was thinking if i don't know what she was thinking but if you're thinking if I want to write something that addresses this, you know, social issue, you maybe pick two unlikely people that you would think societally, like we don't really think that there's a lot of gay cowboys out there or something. I don't know. I, but, I think it so takes I on think the there myth is some, a little bit of, yes, of masculinity yes, and what we think of as, that's what the movie's doing, as but, a real man that has, they have to be buttoned up and they can't, mm-hmm. they can't have feelings. They have to be tough guys. I think that this movie is taking that on a little bit and maybe Ang Lee is the perfect director for that because mm-hmm. he's not American. So he can kind of look at it from the outside and say, oh, this is a story about two people, not about politics. Yeah, I think this is done more for the tough guy image until best picture this started. <laughs> yeah. I just don't see us <laughs> doing this with any straight love stories. We don't describe movies this way. Yeah. We talk about what they're about. We don't just reduce them to uh, you know. Yeah, it's a it's a straight spy movie. <laughs> it's a straight Spider-Man movie. <laughs> um you done? Yeah, I, mean, time for I have a golden nugget I can give you too, but go ahead. <laughs> You're going to have to wait to see if we have time. So my golden take is that Brokeback Mountain works because it's not a message movie. Yeah. It's similar to what you're talking about, but mm-hmm. there are so many that we've seen that are message movies. Yes. There's, there's zero pretension in how this movie is made. Um, so how is that accomplished? I was like, how did this work? You know, how did that moment with Jake Gyllenhaal saying, all we got now is Brokeback Mountain. How did that, like everything built up to that moment to me. And um, David Anson of Newsweek said, there's no coyness or self-importance in the movie. Um, Peter Bradshaw from The Guardian said, the, sensitive, the film is sensitive toward the feelings of the wives mm-hmm. who attempt to understand their troubled husbands, unquote. And I think that that is also part of the big success of the movie. Great performances. I love Anne Hathaway. Michelle Williams was a nominated, Oof. a nominated Quit role. Golden Nugget. I love Hathaway is Anne the worst Hathaway. part of this movie. <laughs> I don't care what you say. I'm, I'm looking forward to every Anne Hathaway movie from, from like, now until I 2021. Like, I'm not an Anne Hathaway she hater. Played, I like her. She, she did exactly what her role oh, was supposed to do. Oh, she's a cartoon in this no. movie. The hair is ridiculous. The accent stinks. <laughs> All of it. Well, we're going to have to agree to disagree. <laughs> So the wives are not the villains of the story. We have seen some movies where the wives are the villains. I'm thinking of Ray, for example. Uh, and um, well, she's also hmm. the victim. Um, Johnny Cash's wife in Walk the Line. Have you watched it yet? No. Okay, I'm sorry. I never yeah, mind. It's that. been a long time. But the, the point is that 
the, everybody is sympathetic in the movie and everything is complicated. So they're real people. They're trying to make their lives work. And then there's this wrench thrown into everything. Michelle Williams' husband is gay. She witnesses that first kiss. Oh, it's such a good moment and too. And she's, it's like the expression on her face is so complicated. Mm-hmm. She's like a little bit horrified, a little bit like this is the end, a little bit like she just doesn't know what to do. It's like her life is now different from what it was before. Mm-hmm. She feels maybe betrayed. Like, this is not who I thought I married. Mm-hmm. You can, you sympathize with that at the same time that you sympathize with um, Heath Ledger, Ennis and, and Jack. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, but also with that all, moment before yeah. we go past it, I, 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 I sort of picked that moment out and I thought about it for another one of my best It didn't moments. make the cut for it your Farley? Your make, number four? Yeah, it didn't make my number four. Oh. Because there's no music cue. Yeah. There's no zoom in. There's no hard cut close up to her face. It's yeah. just she opens the door and it's just all performance. It's so so good. Yeah, it's any subtle. lesser director would have overplayed that so so much, mm-hmm. and I'm and I'm glad Lee doesn't. Yeah, so she tries to pretend it's not happening, and you can understand why. She wants her family to you know go on, even though it's not really a happy family life in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, similarly, it's very interesting to me that. Um, Joe Aguirre's character played by Dennis Quaid, who I didn't even really recognize. Joe Aguirre? Joe Aguirre is the guy who hires them to go up on oh, Brokeback. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he goes up and he, he witnesses them flirting, basically. Yeah. And he knows what's going on up there. So, But when, when, when uh, Jake Gyllenhaal comes back the next year to ask, can I work again? What is his response? No. And he makes a, you know, a, slur basically you know but he also says something true which is that they did a crappy job <laughs> yeah you wouldn't want to hire them again because they lost sheep but then again and then that they guy went and w- found other sheep that guy was asking them to yes do it's something true. That they weren't supposed to be doing but, but you are right but they, I'm just they saying, weren't actually doing the job that's a clear i think choice on angley and probably annie pruel i have not read the short story but that almost everything that happens that goes wrong is not simply about like, is it because they're gay or not? Or is it is this relationship, you know, socially acceptable or not? Mm-hmm. And it's it's just all, it, everything's complicated. So then you you know that it's about human beings. Yes. Ang Lee's so good. He is. He's so good. I wish sometimes he was a little more flashy with some shots. He's, you don't think he was flashy enough in Crouching Tiger? He showed he can do it. <laughs> He's moved on. <laughs> <laughs> I wish there was a little more bamboo or (laughs) something and broke back yeah well you can get bamboo in mountains i guess that wouldn't be too i went i went to the jacksonville zoo the other day with my family Mm -hmm. they have a huge amazing awesome bamboo forest and i was just looking up at those treetops i'm like wow did you did you try to sword play on them i actually did good climbed up didn't have any wires didn't go well anyway moving on did you have a question for me i do so i just watched capote ahead of next week's mm-hmm. episode. i also recently yeah, just watched i, I know you did too so yeah. i figured this is the perfect time mm-hmm. and i gotta say i enjoyed it a lot more this time than mm-hmm. i did when i watched it back in probably oh five so that's a keep okay yeah <laughs> and philip seymour <laughs> hoffman was great in it he is but but <laughs> do you think that he beat heath ledger for the Best Actor Award, because he was playing a real person from history and the Academy can't help but lick its chops when it sees a familiar face from the past on screen, a la Ray, or did he legit deserve it? 
Um, I think that, again, Heath Ledger's performance suffers a little bit from one-note-ism. Mm. Even though it's perfect, you wouldn't ask him to do anything different from his performance. But the character doesn't lend itself to the range. I mean, Capote is quite a performance. I haven't looked at everything to see if I would support that as like the best actor, but it's an impressive performance. Um, there's a lot of self-importance in Capote that I you know, was trying to avoid having me taint the whole movie. And I also enjoyed it. You know, there's a lot of really interesting things about it. But the point is, I think that the range is probably gives the nod to, to Philip Seymour Hoffman. I'm what, trolling what a little bit because I was just going on this rant about how <laughs> you don't want to be reductive. And I'm just reducing this entire performance. <laughs> yes, you say. are. Um, so that's kind of on purpose. You because... always say like, oh, this is a capital I important movie. Talk about reductive. That's one word. That's not gay cowboy movie. That's at least three. Listen, anything important is bad to you. Hoffman's performance is better than Jamie Foxx's performance, I would say. And I don't think I, that it's that it's very close. I agree, so I agree. if we're looking at just historical figures, mm-hmm. Hoffman carries this movie. I do think that there's a lot of nuance there on top of the impersonation element. Mm-hmm. But I think I'd still give it to Heath Ledger. I just feel like what I talked about before with the eyebrows thing. I see such a wide range of emotion yeah. in a sort of seemingly narrow um, range of action, which I think is really, really interesting. I think what you're saying is that the MTV Movie Awards should have a Best Eyebrow Raise Award maybe, to go along with the best kids. Maybe give one of those little popcorn statuettes. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I just wish we had more performances from both of these guys. Yeah. It's a shame that we don't. I know. Um, okay, so what might have been? Okay. Um, Gus Van Sant was going to make this movie originally. Hmm. And I thought, I haven't seen everything of Gus Van Sant. He made Good Will Hunting in 97. Um, he made Elephant in 03, which is the last one that I actually watched from him. Mm-hmm. And I kind of thought, you know, that kind of like, it's it's definitely weird, Elephant, but yeah. the kind of like uh, quietness made me think, it'd be interesting to see what Gus Van Sant would do. He decided not to ultimately, and he did Milk though in 08. Um, uh, Gus Van Sant was hoping to cast Matt Damon and Joaquin Phoenix. Hmm. Could you imagine those characters? Yeah, I could. Yeah, they're both great. Mm-hmm. Um, Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> Every movie, <laughs> every single one. <laughs> Brad Pitt. Nah, I too old. T- oh, come on. Right. Well, it was in 05. Yeah. Was, he was a spring chicken back then. Yeah, I guess. When so. is uh, Assassination of Jesse James? I think that's coming up. Yeah, in I think a year it's coming up. Mm-hmm. Ryan Philippe, I'll give the big no on that no, one. No, no. Um, <laughs> Ang Lee was decided to do it in 01, but then he decided to make Stead first. And after Hulk and Crouching Tiger, which he was like exhausted after making those two back to back, he thought about just retiring. Retiring? Yeah. That'd be a bad move. Instead, he came back and made Broadback. No. <laughs> and wins best What director. might have been? <laughs> Um, and let me just say, I'm glad he didn't retire before making Hulk. That movie gets a lot of bad press, but I'm always going to stump for it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's, 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 it's just so weird for a superhero movie. It's like, yeah. it's like when you get somebody who does not work in genre mm-hmm. to do something like that, the movie just has a completely yeah. different feel, no, especially I, nowadays. I do like the idea of the mixing. That's something you kind of introduced me to over since... Uh, you know, basically the Spider-Man episode, I think, is where that kind of, we fleshed that out somewhat. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so another thing is that um, 
they were uh, originally the screenwriters, Osana and McMurtry, Larry McMurtry, who wrote Lonesome Dove also, they, they, they asked for Heath Ledger to be in the movie because they were impressed by his performance in the best movie of 2001, if you remember Monsters Ball. Uh, and then the studio said he was not masculine enough. Hmm. In this movie, he seems about as masculine as you can get. Yeah, yeah. Although, is that stereotyping? Should I not say that? <laughs> no comment. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, okay, so this is the last one that you're going to This gonna, is the same gonna year learn. as Lords of Dogtown, I believe. I have not seen that. And he's very good in Lords of Dogtown yeah. also. Hmm. He's totally different than he is here, hmm. and he's kind of wacky, but he plays this kind of, um, you know, this this guy who's like a... a a god to all these teenager Hmm. skater guys, Mm, mm -hmm. but he plays it sort of dorky, which you don't expect, (laughs) but he's still able to sell the fact that you would look up to a guy like this, even though he seems sort of weird at the same time. Hmm. Heath Ledger could do that. Yeah. He is so versatile. I'm, I'm impressed with every time I see him. Yeah. He's great. Um, the title in French, I want you to give a keeper kick on this new, on this title in French. Okay. It was called the secret on Brokeback mountain. Instead too, of nah, too dramatic, broke back mountain. Nah, get rid of secret. Yeah, that's terrible. Okay, trivia: <clears throat> a few things. Um, Alberta. It was actually filmed in Alberta, Canada. A lot of it, and they were so stressed about bringing sheep through the mountains that they made the filmmakers transport the sheep off the mountain in and out every day. Hmm. <laughs> that sounds like a, a big part of the fourteen million potentially. Yeah. Um, Anne Hathaway had just was was in the process of filming The Princess Diaries two Royal Engagement, another of her classic works. Never Actually, seen I've never seen that either, but I'm sure it's great. Um, and she showed up to the audition during her lunch break wearing a ball gown and hairpiece that was quote way over the top. She's, Unlike her hairpiece, she still in got this, it. That's how movie? that's how good she is. <laughs> could she have? Could a lesser actress have gotten that role? Wearing a Princess Diaries gown? I, I mean, don't, I don't think so. Every wig she wears in this movie is straight out of the Jetsons. It's, like that's not her fault. That's the blame the uh, hairstylist. But maybe they saw her wig from oh, that movie yeah. and they thought, wait a second, uh, she's on to something. She's like Anne Hathaway's in the dressing room. Go bigger. Go bigger. <laughs> bigger. Um, so Buzz Image Group was hired to create seventy-five visual effects shots, hmm. including landscapes sheep and clouds i mean come on what do you need all that for that's like the aviator they could have just thrown in the clouds instead he waited for years and years Hmm. anyway there are a lot of sheep in there are a lot of sheep and and who wants all them on set you can make sense to me you can pick out a few of them that look cgi i guess i never thought about it (laughs) no i'm just kidding um there's a lot of countries that did not distribute the movie china middle eastern countries did not even distribute it and this is the last one. In 2008, so it took a couple of years, Italian state-owned TV played a censored version of the movie, <laughs> cutting out all homoerotic references. Oh my God. Now get... It's <laughs> the dumbest thing I've so ever So get heard. this. <clears throat> Viewers protested saying, quote, the deletions made the plot hard to follow. That's strange Unquote. for a movie that's... Yeah, I thought that was kind of strange. About this... To cut out... I mean, I have followed some pretty short movies in my editing career. Good. All right. Keep it or kick it, Mike. 
So Hathaway almost ruins it. No, she uh, <laughs> You're just trying to goad me now. No, she doesn't almost ruin it, but I will say she's the one thing in this movie I don't like, huh. and I like everything else. Mm-hmm. It's an easy keep for me. It's a keep for me as well. Um, you know, I talked before about like, you know, as I've said many times, like Christianity is a big part of my life. And, but this is a movie that is sort of like, love your neighbor. We need to understand each other. And this, is, this movie helps you understand what people all over are doing and feeling like and going through. So I felt that in the movie and I think that it, there's a universality to it that is just really well done. So it's a key for me. Empathy machine. It is, exactly. As said. Mm-hmm. We want to hear from you. Well, in the next episode. Oh, yeah. Let's do that we first. We talked about Capote, about Philip Seymour Hoffman, almost, or maybe he does, fall in love with the murderer. Did I reduce that enough for you? Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that's fair, <laughs> I suppose. It's about a, a lot more than that, it I is. think, and we'll get into it. But mm-hmm. we want to hear from you. What do you think about Broke Black Mountain? Is it definitely a top five of 2005? And could it potentially be the number one? I think it's going to be your number one. It's, it's, it's a candidate for me, honestly. It's, 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 it's that it's, good. It's making a hard push yes. for, for my number one. It'll mm-hmm. be up there for sure. Uh, not, he won't it won't be in the I mean, spot. You don't want to give it away. But it's competing for the spot. We don't want anybody to turn off the channel right now. <laughs> you can find us at bestpicturethis.com on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you listen. We're also on Facebook and Twitter at Best Picture This. And for 15 years of golden takes, head over to Letterboxd where you'll find me, Mike Cavalieri. To support the show and help select a movie for a bonus episode, visit patreon.com slash bestpicturethis. Thanks to WNZF and the illustrious Mark Gilliland for producing. And also, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. Do you remember, Mike, some time ago when I said that we should start a million-dollar company? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you refused. <laughs> and now all we got is best picture this. <laughs> <laughs>